Hi everyone, welcome to our podcast for Black Women Connects Vancouver. Girl, you know it. So I'm the founder of Black Women Connects Vancouver, which started in 2017. And Black Women Connects Vancouver is a collective of women who come to inspire, empower, and leverage our strengths and embrace our diverse experiences. It is a community where we can build meaningful relationships and celebrate the beauty of our Black womanhood. I hope that you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, Girl, You Know It. And today we have a wonderful, wonderful guest. We actually had a tidbit of a conversation before this, but y'all gonna have to wait, okay? Because we're special like that and we're gonna keep you waiting. Uh, but today we are gonna be talking about mixed families. And I'm your host, Alyssa. I'm Natasia. And I'm Elle. And we have a wonderful guest here with us, Courtney. Courtney, can you please introduce yourself to folks? Yes, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with everyone here today. So I'm Courtney Davis. I um, currently reside in uh, Gibsons, British Columbia, this really cute coastal town that I moved to, I'm super excited about. And I work here as a project manager in BC. And um, basically my story is I'm half uh, white Australian and half Jamaican. And it was a really interesting kind of dichotomy growing up with these two different parents. I never actually knew that my parents were different. Uh, When I was younger, uh, I remember one time being at the park with my mom and this little girl coming up to me and being like, is that your mom or your nanny? I'm like, oh, that's my mom. And then she'd be like, oh, well, your mom talks funny. And my mom has an accent, which I never knew. So my experience with getting to learn and understand that I was a mixed child was really through other people, wasn't necessarily through my parents. And, um, you know, being out with my mom brought a lot of questions, but being out with my dad, who is black, brought no questions. And I didn't understand that as a child either until growing up learning that, yes, I look more like him from a skin color type and people need to understand why this white woman was with this little black kid, but no one needed to ask the question why this black man was with this um, little black girl. And so, you know, growing up, uh, my parents divorced. So I lived with my mom uh, in a very upper class neighborhood in Ontario. And my dad, um, also, he remarried. uh, And they lived on the east side of um, Toronto, in a more um, black populated area. So that was really interesting for me as well. Um, In the time living with my mom in Oakville, uh, she also remarried to a black man. So it was nice kind of keep things consistent. So all of my siblings and I, we all look the same. Um, but I was the only kid between my two parents. So now I'm growing up mixed, but I'm also growing up between two different families um, in two different, you know, socioeconomic situations. And it was quite a, um, I would say quite a dichotomy of understanding and a hard place for me to understand really where I came from uh, growing up mixed between two different families in I would say almost three or four different worlds so that's kind of my story wow 
That's a really, really touching story. And I feel like all of those aspects I never really think about when I think about even my own story, right? Um, and the ways that families can be split as well, especially with the remarrying. I always feel like um, I imagine what it would be like for, you know, to live that life. And I don't think I can have a lot of understanding about it as well. You mentioned earlier that you came to know um, that your parents were different or, you know, even that you were mixed based on other people's projections or the way that they were calling it out to mm-hmm. you. What did that look like growing up? And then what did the, what does that look like now as you're an adult? Yeah, growing up, I never saw myself as different. And I will say, I do think, um, you know, my mom for never really saying anything about being different because that allowed me to grow up thinking I was the same as everybody else, which has its positives and negatives because then you learn through experience that you're not like everybody else, but you don't understand why. So that part kind of sucked. So, but I do appreciate the fact that growing up, I, I saw myself as everybody else. And so I never let the fact that I look different ever cloud going for an opportunity or thinking that I was worthy of an opportunity. I just thought I was like everybody else and I could, you know, do what other people could. Um, And that really came in the form of like horseback riding, which is really seen as kind of a predominantly white upper class uh, sport. But for myself, you know, it was just something that I could do. I was good at it. And I never saw myself as different. Now, it's really interesting. Like, yes, we have more awareness around mixed families. We have um, more imagery around mixed families, but every time say someone asks like, oh, can I see, you know, what your family looks or show a picture of my family? And they're like, that's your mom. Oh, and then you get the question of, well, how did that happen? And I was like, okay, do I, do I have to explain this to you? Like, I feel like you probably went through grade 11 biology. You can figure this out yourself. Um, Or I started using like the coffee and cream analogy often, (laughs) where it's like, okay, well, you know, you have a cup of coffee, the more cream you add, the lighter the coffee becomes. That's kind of what happens with mixed kids. And you can get any varying shade. And a lot of older individuals are like, oh, yeah, okay. And (laughs) it kind of clicks in for them. So it's been like an education, not only for myself, but to realize how people don't really know about mixed families or think about mixed families. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Like growing up, um, when I grew up in Saskatchewan, I had a really close friend, my sister and I had a really close friend and, um, her mom, um, was dating someone that was black. And so then they had her, so she was mixed race. Um, but then that situation didn't work out and then she remarried, um, a white man who they had a child and she was white. So she was the only Mm. person that was black in that family. And that Mm. was always her struggle. And she would talk about it. And I think for my sister and I, not knowing fully her experience and we were young too, um, Mm -hmm. it was really hard for her because there was moments she felt like I wasn't really part of the family or she didn't feel accepted. Um, And not even necessarily that her family pushed that so hard on her. It was just so obvious, right? Like her hair was Afro hair was curly. She had more of a darker complexion. So it wasn't even that she could pass of like, like most people did think she was just fully black. So then they thought that she was adopted. So she had that more of that struggle. And I know Mm -hmm. later on in life, um, 
she struggled with that with like her stepdad. And I think that maybe he pushed that more of like, you're the different one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So I'm not sure. Like I, like, I think now, like looking back and hearing your story, I'm like, wow, like there's a lot of things I missed um, just because it wasn't my story and it wasn't my experience. Um, but there was there times like that where you felt like, okay, like I know you said your mom didn't ever push that was the time, like within your family dynamics, either family where you felt like, okay, I am that just that different one um, once you kind of it clicked with you? Yeah, um, I think when I was younger and we would go back and visit my family in Australia who are all beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed individuals. And then you have this little brown, brown-eyed, curly-haired, very frizzy curly hair little girl, you know, during family picnics or going out to the beach. While I might not have been able to articulate the feeling of why I was feeling different or understand what that feeling meant to me, I did feel different. And, you know, sitting around the table, looking at everybody, you can't help but feel different. Like it, the contrast is plain as day, even sitting on the couch, looking down at my arm, looking at my cousin's arm, we are different skin colors. My little brain didn't know what that meant. I just knew that I wasn't the same as everybody else. And, you know, if something happened or, I was treated differently. The only difference I could come up with was that my skin color was different. So at a young age, I started, you know, I had mental health issues because if I thought I grew up the same as everybody else, and then the only physical difference that I could see is my skin color, then it must be my skin color that makes me different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. Not thinking about other people's biases, their own assumptions. And I really internalized that. Um, So that's another, I guess, when you don't have the conversation with your children about what they can expect growing up, that's something that they can definitely internalize. So I do empathize with your friend and the experience that she went through. It was very hard. Wow. Yeah, no, I was going to say, especially when you touched on like that mental health piece and like the internalization um, and you didn't have those conversations with your parents growing up. Now, as an adult, have you had that conversation and been like, hey, like, I know you did your best with me. You were also going through stuff. You know, you got separated, you got remarried, but like, I was here and I was experiencing this. How, has that conversation happened? I'm, I'm thinking also like, because yeah. you have you have other ha- siblings who are like also mixed. I'm like thinking about how your parents and step-parents can support them growing up and maybe like mm-hmm. a, a reparenting of your parents and be like, Hey, just so you know, like, this is what I went through. Like, have you had that conversation? Yeah. And that's a great question. And to answer no, um, like just straight up, I'm not close with my mother. And there were some times like during um, the murder of George Floyd, where we were exchanging some, you know, back and forth. I remember her telling me she was so proud that my younger sister went to go like March and in protest and you know all the things that she was going through and I thought in my mind like well I'm glad that you can think of all the things that she went through like do I ring a bell to you at all um I try not to compare myself to my sister uh, because again her parents were together um and it's a different situation but that was definitely really difficult and I don't think honestly like my mom would really understand so I just haven't gone there with my dad um and my stepdad like we've kind of had some conversations but it's 
I, I honestly like on me I just don't even know what to say like I really don't know what to say or how to even approach the subject of what I went through as a child um, I think maybe I'm a little bit too cautious of thinking about their feelings and then having to think about okay I'm going to tell you my feelings and then you're going to have a response to my feelings so then how do I deal with your response to my feelings so I'm just going to say nothing <laughs> but I will say I've done a ton of therapy um, my wife is fantastic in having this conversation and she is like overly empathetic which I love um, in in her understanding of black culture and history and, and what I've gone through as a mixed kid she's seen you know the dynamics in my family so yeah so to answer your question no um is it something I should probably do probably <laughs> working I mean, on the bravery <laughs> I mean again it's also just not on you I didn't want to be like you have to do it I'm just no. wondering if that conversation has happened and and I was I would wonder if like your parents had reached out and they, they haven't so that's, yeah. that's unfortunate yeah it is, but everyone has to go through their own journey in their own time, right? Mm -hmm. And the, I guess the one thing I did as a mixed kid and coming from two separate families, being the only pillar in that middle of the family is I had to reckon with what I expected out of my parents, mm -hmm. right? Like, it's kind of sad to say, but like, I don't expect them to really do anything because I am that one person in the middle and in their minds are probably like, well, her mom will handle it or her dad will handle it. So, you know, I just sit in the middle. I'm happy for who I am and who I've become. And I've become a very successful person, businesswoman. Um, so, you know, that's what keeps me going, I think. Yeah, I love that. And as you were saying that, it's like the light intensified and like oh. <laughs> lit you up almost like this angelic light was coming around you just to affirm how uh, grounded you are in your own identity and having come this far in order to cultivate it. I feel like, um, you know, folks sometimes have perceptions of you. I think we all have perceptions of people. The more they do something, right? The right. more that people braid their hair, then maybe they're trying to be too black or you're trying to be mm -hmm. too white when you do certain things. And I know that you grew up and had the different polarities in terms of the social classes where, uh, you know, your different families were living and your parents lived. Did you encounter any... Um, I guess, like judgment on you as you were learning and growing into your blackness or even into your own identity that you have right now? Oh, 100%. I remember one time in my going to high school, I went to a predominantly white high school, I think maybe one of 10 black kids in all of a couple thousand um, in Oakville. And I remember I had my cousin had put braids in my hair and walking to school and someone's like, oh, so you're black now. And I'm like, I never wasn't black to begin with. Talk to me about this. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, your hair's black. And, I, and I, I still didn't even understand what they were trying to say because in my mind, I'm like, it's hair. Like, I didn't know hair could make you black or white. Like that just didn't, and it still in my mind doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Um, and then, you know, growing up, horseback riding it's hard to fit a lot of curly hair under a helmet and so my legit excuse for having or my reason why I straighten my hair very often is because it's a lot easier to put a lot of straight hair under a helmet especially when you're riding four or five days a week versus constantly having to wash curly hair mm. so I had straight hair most of my life and um, for me that's kind of how I lived but I didn't understand that people in the world thought of me as more white because my hair was straight. Mm. 
And I didn't really get that until I started wearing my hair curly in different jobs or out and people would always associate my curly hair with being black. And again, like I, I just, it, it never sunk into me. Like I couldn't understand why I couldn't have curly hair, why I couldn't have straight hair, why there had to be such an attachment to how my hair looked as the identity that I get to have for you, not for myself but the identity that you choose to give me based on how my hair is. And I would, you know, tell people I'd go to work and I wouldn't wear my hair curly one because I was then ashamed, I think, to be seen as black, but also because then I would become in fetishized. People would touch my hair or ask me more like black questions. And it, it just like, it would stress me out because I didn't know who I was based on everyone else's perceptions of me just because how my hair was being worn. It is quite a mind trip, let me tell you. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it really stressed me out for a while. Now I've kind of settled on this kind of half curly, half straight situation. Um, so I guess even now reflecting, it's kind of like a middle ground of who maybe my identity is right now. Mm. Oh, light bulb moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that changes, you know, even for myself. I feel like back home, um, a lot of folks are very visibly black. Like, I feel like I'm very visibly a a black person back home. And Mm. here, sometimes I feel like when I arrived and my hair was very straight and I had, you know, it relaxed, um, you Mm. know, people would have assumptions of me. And the more that I did change my hair, you're right. I also feel it, you know, the more questions and interrogation, you almost become the spokesperson. They're like, oh my goodness, okay, great. So this person is going to be my case study into figuring out, you know, what these kinds of people are like. But it's always interesting how, you know, we have to break out of that. And a lot of it is a lot of mental work. And a lot of it is, like you said, you know, therapy can help with that. Some self-work can help with that. What Mm -hmm. are the nuances of mixed families do you think that we don't get to see or even think about um, at all? I would probably say how that individual so how I have to walk into a room with my white family versus how I have to walk into a room with my black family and then always having those you know small comments or microaggressions that I know your family doesn't mean but are very confusing for a child so you know stop acting so white why are you acting white why is your hair like this why are you so skinny you know why don't you like this food you've been eating too much of this And then on the flip side, when you go, you know, have your black family, you don't eat enough, you know, you're not acting black enough, you never feel really like you fit in, because, you know, you might not listen to the certain music that they listen to, you might not be 100% up on the culture. Like, I, I will never remember learning what black Twitter was. Like, I've, I don't have a lot of social media, but I remember when sometimes like, black Twitter is so funny. And I was like, black people have their own Twitter account. (laughs) Oh, cool. Where is that? I'll follow it. And they're like, no, Courtney, like it's part of Twitter. And I'm like, I'm not following. But then the comment was, you're so white. And I'm like, sure. What are we talking about? And while I had an educational black Twitter for black history, like before black history month, I actually was teaching my team about that experience being vulnerable to say like, as a black person, like I didn't even know what this is or how it even worked. And so I'm going to share that with you. That's on black, black Twitter. <laughs> so um, it, there's those kind of nuances. Uh, but then there's little things that we don't think about. Like a, there's a, and I feel for say white moms with kids who might have more kinky hair, 
um, those individuals and that child is going to get stressed because maybe their hair isn't done as nice as the other little black girls or that mom doesn't even care about how to do their hair. They just, you know, take them to a salon where that individual can't even cut that type of hair. Those are small, you know, nuances that really shape how a child sees their world. If their parent isn't really getting um, an education on, you know, what that child is going to need to be successful in the future, you know, having to do their hair, having to take care of their skin, having to be aware that, you know, Black women, when they go to the doctor, really do have to advocate a hundred times more for themselves because most doctors won't actually take Black women seriously. We can look at Serena Williams and that Black doctor who died of COVID-19. She was a doctor and she wasn't even listened to. So making sure that we, even in mixed families, or if you have a friend that has mixed babies, I'm not saying get involved, but you know those are things that families don't always tend to think about, but are so important that they get educated and actually pay attention uh, to what's happening to their children, how their kids can be successful in the future. Do you find that with your siblings that are also mixed race, did you ever have these conversations of like, oh, this was my experience? Like, was there kind of that kind of commonality between you two other than um, like everything else? Or it was just never kind mm -hmm. of like, it was more separated for your experience. This is our experience because we're a family unit. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was more that because um, you know, between my uh, siblings that live with my dad, there's three girls that are quite close in age. Um, I think I'm like two or three years older than the oldest there. Uh, and then between the sibling with my mom, um, she, her and I are 11 years apart. And then I do have an older sister who's five years older than me. But because I'm the only one between my two parents, there was no one I could talk to. There was no one who was ever having the same journey as me at the same time or close to the same time, either because they had the family support or they had their other siblings to talk to. It really was just me kind of on my own. And by no means is this a pity party. It's just, I learned a lot differently than a lot of my siblings did. And I have, for that, I have different experiences than, than they do. Um, I'm sorry, I have to go back to what you were talking about. I just, I, I, I know I'm going to have more questions for you. Like probably the next week you're going to get all these like Instagram, like, <laughs> but I really, um, appreciate what you said about like the nuances and the little things that parents can be intentional about with their children. And I think that even, even before, individuals who are like in interracial couplehood and like wanting to be partners and want to have children, this needs to be a conversation that needs oh, to be yeah. had right from the get-go. We're learning about each other's cultures, but also like for the babies that we're going to bring into this world, how are we going to be intentional in mm -hmm. um, highlighting both cultures and also preparing them for the realities of the world, especially when one of those parents is black. Um, because I can't imagine, like you were talking about hair and like, I was like, I just have dealt with it on just being black, like a dark skinned black woman. I couldn't even imagine or fathom the flip switching, like the flipping you have to think about. And I, mm -hmm. that, like, actually I felt the anxiety as you were saying it, because I was like, I never even thought about that. So like those little nuances, I think, need to be had before so it's not like a reaction it's not like like For I'm sure. so incredibly happy uh that you have like you know 
gotten therapy and you know but like what about like the preventative like actions of parents to like really do that hard work and it's going to be hard work because for sure um thinking about you know the world um attacking your child or perceiving your child in a different way it's sad it, it is hard and like I get why parents decide you know what? I'm not going to think about that I'm just going to love my child I'm going to mm-hmm. tell them that they're the same as everyone but that doesn't also set that child up for success because then they're yeah. dealing with the internalization they don't feel comfortable coming to you and then the cycle repeats and it's like well we could have prevented that so I don't know I just needed to like say like I love the fact that you know you've done all this work and I, and I think that we need to be encouraging um, interracial couples to like have those conversations and do the hard work of like, how are we going to raise this next child? Of course, right? Because those kids will not, they're going into a completely different world than, you know, you and I grew up and our parents grew up into mm-hmm. where, you know, there's so much more social media, but there's so much more um, internet bullying. And as an older generation learns more about, different cultures. And then even as our generation starts to become allies um, for different cultures, which is fantastic. But then there's also the the overstep, right? The people who try too hard. And it's like, no, just take a step back. And if your daughter has kinky curly hair, go find an appropriate hairdresser for her, right? It's nothing on you. There are different hairdressers who know different textures and types of hair. And you can't give a little girl with curly frizzy hair, a blunt straight cut for white people hair, like for straight hair, like it just doesn't work. Like, trust me, I've had one, it's very bad. I got a mullet, it stayed for weeks. So it, it, it shouldn't be scary, right? Going into these places. I remember the first time I even went into an African hair store, I was petrified one, because I didn't think I was even black enough to go into that store. And now I'm asking this woman all these questions and she held my hand and she goes, is your mom white? And I said, yeah. And she gave me this big like bosom hug. And it just felt so nice to help me with my hair. Um, and that happened actually here. And it was just like, you know, I, I was like still in my late 20s trying to figure out what to do with my hair. I had no idea. So this journey is new. (laughs) I'm still learning. And I absolutely love that uh, you both mentioned that interracial couples should have this conversation because I'm an interracial couple and I definitely have this conversation. I think that this it's a a very anxiety provoking conversation as well, because Mm -hmm. I feel that in as much as you want to comb through all of the different things that could happen, we also don't know the world that will be here when I do have, you know, those kids as well. And it's just very, it's very topsy turvy because you might also as parents have it down and like be open and aware but then your child leaves your house mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's like society also you know has that impact on them as well so um yeah it's a very a very interesting experience it is like preparing your your daughter to or son to have conversations or they um, at school with friends who ask them questions and then to ha- make sure your kids feel comfortable enough to come home and say, Hey mom, this happened to me. Um, and then what does that mean? I had that experience. I want to say I was in grade two or three and we we're standing up outside at line and this little black boy called me the N word. And I didn't know what that meant. Like I was like, okay. And then the little white girl behind me was like, Oh, my mom said, that's a bad word. You should tell the teacher. And I'm like, 
okay. So I walk up to the teacher and I'm like, hi, this kid called me the N word. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And in my mind, I'm like, why are we all freaking out? What does this word mean? I remember my mom coming to the school, talking to the teacher, being like, okay, well, maybe in his culture, in his home and, you know, music, he says that and he was just trying to communicate with her, but I never got an explanation. I never learned what that word meant, why it was derogatory. And then I grew up hearing it in rap music. But then I saw, because I grew up primarily, you know, with um, upper middle class white people around me, they never said the word, unless it was in rap music, that seemed to be okay. So then I knew the word was wrong, but I didn't know why. And then it wasn't until I did the research, I read the Underground Railroad, I, you know, the internet became more popular, and then I understood it. But I will never forget for 10 years, I still never knew why this word was such a bad word, what it meant, the history of it. And that is not something that we should let our children know, because then they can go perpetuating you know, using the word or thinking it's okay if they weren't a kid like me who was like, okay, apparently it's bad, so I won't say it. They could get the other end of the stick and start using it all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's it's so important to have these conversations with young kids about, you know, what's acceptable. And then the history, not just you can't say this word because it's offensive to Black people. Like, let's talk about the history of this word and why it's offensive, period. And you can say like, I, I personally don't like to hear it in music ever. I don't like to hear it, period. I don't know why people use it, but they do. That's just my opinion. A hundred percent. I think that people are afraid of talking about or giving an education at the level where you're giving everything because they somehow mm. feel like once you hear all of the knowledge, your brain will just magically put it all together <laughs> and then we'll create this like monster like oh you're telling me really about sex I'm gonna become a sex whatever or like oh you're telling me about race history I'm gonna become this extremist and it's like no you're just right. a person an opportunity to be fully educated on the subject so they can make a mm-hmm. more informed decision um, about you know what it is that they want to Uh, partake in especially as kids because kids are walking talking recorders like I learned as a nanny I would be on my phone (laughs) saying oh I love you babe and every time be like I love you babe I love you I'm just like stop stop doing it I keep forgetting that you are a recorder so yeah and kids will definitely mimic everything that they hear so it's really important that we allow them to also start learning at that point to also parse through different information and to start mm-hmm. to think critically because I think I was a critical thinker as a kid but um you know on kid-like things and toys and games and creating all of these you know imaginative exactly. things if I can do that and I can create invisible friends like Imagine what I could do if you actually educated me on some of these different aspects, you know, like Mm -hmm. holding us back here, (laughs) holding us back. Um, I have a question about terminology because I love language. Do you think that the term mixed families fully encapsulates your experience, the experience or like the, this, this idea of, Mm. um, because I've also heard, uh, heard people call it combined families. I've also heard oh. people use different terms for it. So I'm just wondering in your experience, has there, do you feel like it's comprehensive or no? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't know, only because I've learned so many terms in the last like two years that my term vocabulary is quite high. 
So I feel like mixed families for me um, signifies or, or depicts, you know, two different cultures coming together and creating a family, but a mixed family, I guess, could also be um, like a blended family, right? Two different groups of individuals coming together. Maybe it's, you know, two divorcees with kids or, you know, two individuals with kids and they call that a mixed family. I think what I would like to get to is just family. Like we're just a family. And then within that family unit, we have our own um, nuances and the challenges that we face as a family. But I would like to get to the place where, you know, everyone just has the family that either they create or that they have, or, you know, the people that they love can be considered family. I hope we get to that point. Mm. Do you think that it's, because I'm trying to think of things, and I know obviously mm-hmm. like trying to get away from a colonial perspective. So I'm trying to think about yeah. like, you know, a census. So even as we are creating these mm. new uh, worlds and communities that we want to live in, in order to be able mm-hmm. to cater to folks and their needs that they have, do you think that stripping away kind of this more specialized way of calling to mixed families and just calling it families will like we'll still be able to track all of the different services and nuances that people have? Or do you just think like we should just fully be open and like catering to everybody and be able to hold all of the different diverse experiences of families? Well, in an ideal world, I would go with the last one. I would hope that every community would be able to support the diversity within its community 100%. I do agree, though, that when we look at the census or when we look at the different makeup of community, it's important to understand that ethnic mix-up or makeup of what is in that community to make sure that the proper resources are provided. Um, But I, I would hope that when we're looking at communities and resources that we're making sure that we are meeting the needs of of everyone that could show up in that community. I think sometimes we as a society will will just gear things to one group, which is fantastic. But then, you know, from another perspective, we're also asking all of these other people to come into the community and then we don't find resources for them, right? So then you're like, hey, everyone come over here, but you don't have any resources here. And then now you're going to have to go figure out with your politicians. Well, when we set up our communities, we should be looking at a diverse scale and making sure that we have the right representation for for these people. And if not, that we have connections for representation for for the communities that are there um, and supports and, and partnerships. I'm a huge believer in partnerships. I don't feel like we should be doing things in silos because you are going to learn from the diversity of experience, the diversity of intellect that will come in to create the services that those communities need. Mm. I'm very idealistic. <laughs> you're not. You're not idealistic. That just is logic. I, I, I hope so. <laughs> that's such a logical thing that we would anticipate and expect our leaders to account for that in their like memberhood or like community or the constituents. Yeah, I always find it really interesting where it's like some rural community and like the prairies like come and live here. I'm like, as a dark skinned black woman, why would I move there? Why would I do that? That is ridiculous. Like, yes, cool for like the white presenting people, white presenting Mm -hmm. males, you're gonna have success. You're gonna do just fine. But for me, I'm gonna go there, my mental health will plummet. Like I will have no connection, right? So 
Yeah, no, mm -hmm. I completely agree. It, and, and it's unfortunate that, again, it's left up to me to lobby my politicians and my leaders to go, this should just mm -hmm. be a basic thing. Like, if you want a multicultural, if you say it and you want to mm -hmm. actually walk it, then you actually have to do the work, my guy. Like, I'm so sorry. So... Right. It's, it's also like a, a cultural like circle too, right? It's like, come over here, but I'm not going to give you what you need. But I asked you to move over here, but you just have to be okay with what I give you for now. And then maybe if there's more of you that come and then there's enough of you that you have a presence and then obviously then you make a huge thing. And then, then I will grant it to you almost as if like, look what I've done for this community. And it's like, well, no, like I've been suffering for 10 years and I'm kind of annoyed with you. And now I'm telling you that you have enough people here. So it's kind of like, a, a I find it like a political mind F because it doesn't suit the needs of the people. And, and it, it comes from a very white colonial aspect, right? hundred percent. And I think that the goal is still to assimilate the folks by asking For you sure. to come to these remote locations is that mm -hmm. you will almost get fatigued to try and uphold whatever it is that you want to uphold mm -hmm. that you'll just succumb to whatever the elements are, right? Because a lot of people just are like, okay, well, I guess I, I can find all of the great things about this place. So I'll just live here. But it's also mm -hmm. like, yeah, but all the things that you're sacrificing, do you have to sacrifice? You don't really have to right. do that as well. And side note, your dog first of all when they walk this way I thought you were just like extending your knee and I was like I like your pants first of all and I thought you were <laughs> and then they walked back and I was like wait wait that does not look like a knee anymore <laughs> no that's Henry pardon the dog he's a German pointer um here I can it's kind of messy actually over there um here let's see Henry come no, he's sleeping. He's 12. And he kind of just lives his own life. Um, but he is like my work dog. So he's created this routine where if I am sitting, you know, in my office on my chair, he sits on the chaise that's behind me and he's with me all day. And he's so good because like in the morning, he'll have his breakfast. And then if the door isn't open, he'll like bash the door open and he'll sit down. He's like, I'm ready for work. So <laughs> my wife tried to take him and like give me space. And he was like, I'm not having any of that. Like I participate in work. So <laughs> he's sitting back there. He's very funny. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. He's a cool guy. Holding Keeps you sane too. <laughs> yeah. Holding you accountable to all your appointments. Like don't let me bark. Don't let me bark up a storm here. Okay. Oh yeah. No napping for you. He lets you know, he like put his nose like on the end of the bed sheet and just scream at your face. And then you open your eyes. He's like, oh, you're awake. And he's really cute. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks, <Hi>. buddy. <laughs> yeah, he's quite the character, that guy. <laughs> I can't wait to get a pet. I would love yeah. to have a doggo. I cannot wait. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Courtney, for joining us and giving us a little bit more information around, you know, your experience being in a mixed family. If you were to stumble upon this podcast in mm -hmm. a few years or whatever moments, what is a message that you'd like to remind yourself about um, regarding your experience? Wow, that's such a good question. I guess what I would remind myself about this experience is the experiences I've had have got me to where I am. And I'm at peace with that. For a very long time, I wasn't. And, you know, all those people would say, you know, the experiences you had got you to where you are. And I'm like, okay, but I could have been a better person. Like if I had more support, like I would have been so much better. Could have been the damn Michelle Obama. Like I could have hit the stars. 
But recently, I've really become at peace with who I am. Um, And I do appreciate some of the experiences that I've had. Like, it's been a tough journey. Um, I I thank my wife for literally showing me unconditional love that I've never experienced in my whole life. She has been so, so amazing. And so I would think about that and, and just know that like life is worth living, experiences are worth living, that when things get hard, the universe only gives you what it knows you can handle. So you can do it. You can, you can push through and you can do it and you're brave and you're strong and you're beautiful. I'm gonna make myself cry (laughs) I was like like, yes I am like I'm just like I was receiving it (laughs) okay good (laughs) yeah but it's been wonderful to chat with you guys today and I hope I get to chat with you again yeah absolutely we're definitely gonna have you back on for that sneak peek episode that we started (laughs) we hit the record button (laughs) yeah it was truly truly lovely Oh, she's so cute. I loved it. Oh, can we call people cute now? I don't even know anymore. Anyways, I, she was lovely. You'd <laughs> be wrong. I don't know. Some people hate it. I remember growing up, I, we always called my dad cute because we just think he's so cute. And he hates it. He finds it so like demeaning and like he just hates that word. So I feel like some people like it and some people hate it. Oh, that's weird. I don't know. I, I always call people cute. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I call Joanna cute, but she's 15 and she hates it. So yeah. I get that. I get that. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I really enjoy talking about <clears throat> mixed families. And I feel like my takeaway from this is to continue in my interracial relationship. Should we decide to have bebes to talk about what that's going to look like? And to be all aligned and shit my babies is gonna be indigos okay we're gonna be out here you know elevating we're gonna be manifesting we're gonna be out here bringing y'all into the next you know revolution um in any case my takeaway is to continue to have these critical conversations with my partner about what um the kids experiences are gonna look like because also um like uh, Courtney said and like we know like folks come in many many different complexions and shades and I think that that's also a very important thing that I didn't really talk about in my previous relationship or even think about um either and also where I'm gonna raise these kids because if I'm raising them in a place like here versus a place like Africa um it, it's it also has its nuances so yeah what are your takeaways I think for me, yeah, like when she was explaining like the different things she had to go through, like living in like predominantly white area, like for me, that had been my whole life. And so I feel like I understood her, um, like with the hairstyle changes and people did even still with me, it's like, I wore braids, like, oh yeah, now you're being extra black or whatever. It's like, I was doing hip hop and it's like, oh yeah, that's such a black thing to do. And it's like, it's not even seen as like an art form or anything. It's like, it's seen as you and your identity. Um, And so I think for me, like that was my takeaway of like, wow, how much more like did I experience this? And then adding another layer where your skin tone is just different. So you're already adding all those things and then your family's different. And then you're the only different one in your family. Like those are a lot of layers. And I think her breaking that down was really helpful for me. Um, Especially with like friends that I know that are in mixed race, um, like that are mixed race, but also like um, younger people who are mixed race too. Like that's the struggle right now. And like, even like helping them, kind of walk through those things of like my hair situation and all that like I don't know my mom's never done that for me and so it's been interesting I like the conversations um my takeaway is that 
you just never know what someone's going through. Like you never fully know. And you could look at someone and go, she is a lighter skinned black woman. She must have had all these, you know, privileges and like, well, wait, she walks the world is different than how I have. Um, but like, you just don't know. And I know we've talked about colorism in the past, but like, there's still the nuances of like your identity and like sitting in like this in two different worlds. And I know that as the past year has happened, more and more individuals who are mixed are like, well, we also need to come into our blackhood. And that means like figuring out our identity within, you know, our white family and our black family. So I think it's just, again, like that, like nuance of everybody has a different perspective and comes with like different baggage and like uh, complexities and just being compassionate about that. It, just, it was really eye-opening to hear her story. So I'm really excited to have had her on and I know that we're going to have more conversations with her. So. Yeah, because Courtney is very, very fascinating, a very fascinating person, multi, multi-faceted. Uh, hey, Africa, the African accent comes in, multi-faceted, uh, determined. Um, in any case, let's not derail ourselves. Go to Europe and come back to like Africa, and they're like, oh yeah, so I was in in, in England, and you know, multi-fosters, and, and like, that's what it reminds me of. It's like, they always come back, and they're like, that is not your accent, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what happened oh I live in Canada (laughs) (laughs) hilarious oh my goodness um thanks you folks for tuning in to another episode of girl you know it you can find us on instagram at girl dot you know it um yeah um we're gonna keep coming back with some really great episodes but i really cannot wait until we can do this in person y'all like i can not wait soon sooner than soon uh we'll be able to do this in person but yeah if you have any stories about you know your experiences being in a mixed family and stuff like that please feel free to share know that we want to validate and uplift your stories because i think everybody's perspective matters and everybody's experience is valid so don't shy away from that and we'll catch you next time um on the episode Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. It's always amazing to get an opportunity to chat with these lovely ladies. So if you're looking to follow us off of the podcast and you're looking to catch up with some of the content that we have, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube, all at Black Women Connect Vancouver. And we also have a website for you at blackwomenconnectvancouver.com which is where you can sign up for our mailing list and our newsletter so you can keep updated with our growth and all of the other events that we have planned for you. Catch you later. Bye.